Well, friends, would you uh, turn with me to the words that we read in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 10, uh, Matthew chapter 10, and reading at verse 34. Matthew 10 from verse 34, Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. One of my favourite hymns is Jordan Coughlin's, All I Have is Christ. The chorus goes, Hallelujah, all I have is Christ. Hallelujah, Jesus is my life. Today we're concluding our studies in Matthew chapters 8 to 10, which has confronted us with the truth of who this Jesus is, this Christ is, and the truth of what he has done for his people. And as we conclude this series, I hope that we would all be able to say, Hallelujah, all I have is Christ. Hallelujah, Jesus is my life. We're going to be considering verses 34 to 42 of this chapter under three headings, the division, the devotion, and the distinction. First we have the division. Look at verses 34 to 36. Here Matthew focuses on the division that Jesus creates. The division that Jesus creates. Before going further, remember the context. Jesus has given his followers a commission. Verses 1 to 23. He has called his inner circle, the twelve to himself, and he has instructed them to proclaim that the kingdom of heaven, the saving reign of God, is at hand. As he has done so, he has advised them to be as wise as serpents and as innocent as doves, since he is sending them out into a dangerous environment. They will be like sheep in the midst of wolves. He has gone on to speak about the contempt that his followers should expect. Verses 24 and 25, he has reminded them that he has been called Beelzebul, the prince of demons, the supreme insult, and he has told them to expect to receive similar treatment, similar contempt, possibly worse. He has then commanded his followers not to be afraid, verses 26 to 31. They're not to be afraid of men, since they've been given a message to proclaim. They're not to be afraid of men, since it's only God whom they should fear. And they're not to be afraid of men, since this God is the God who cares for them. And finally, he has spoken to his followers about the importance of confessing him. Verses 32 and 33, he has told them that he will acknowledge all those who acknowledge him. And he has told them that he will deny all those who deny him. And it's at this point that we can move from the context to the conflict in verses 34 to 36. Jesus opens by making a powerful declaration. Verse 34, he speaks about the reason why he has come to this earth. There is a purpose for him being in this world. And he says that he has not come to bring peace, but a sword. Conflict. Now that is a shocking statement. The first century Jews were raised on the promises that the Messiah, God's appointed deliverer, would usher in an age of prosperity, an age of peace. And Jesus is going to usher in an age of peace. He is going to usher in an age of prosperity. But between his first coming and his second coming, he is going to bring conflict. There is going to be division. Between those who are for him and those who are against him. And Jesus goes on to give a poignant description of that conflict in verses 35 and 36. He is going to set a son against his father. Going to set a daughter against her mother. Going to set a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And he summarizes this by saying that a person's enemies will be those of his own household. 
a person's household is the very last place on earth that you would normally expect to see such conflict, such division. But Jesus is saying that the most fundamental of loyalties, the loyalty between parents and children, daughters and mothers, fathers and sons, that is going to be disrupted, that is going to be divided because of loyalty to him. Friends, as we consider these verses, we're being reminded that loyalty to Jesus, allegiance to Jesus, creates division. It creates conflict. That is what Matthew says in chapter 10. Jesus is sending his inner circle out on mission. He is sending them out with this great message that the kingdom of heaven, the saving reign of God is near. And he's telling them to expect conflict. And he's warning them that this conflict might even erupt in their own homes. Jesus is making it clear that loyalty to him, allegiance to him, creates division. And that is an important point for us to consider. I was recently watching a documentary about the Battle of Culloden. The Battle of Culloden was fought in 1746. The last battle fought on British soil between the House of Hanover and the House of Stuart. And what this documentary pointed out was that this was not a battle between the Scots and the English. That's not what the Battle of Culloden was. This was a battle that pitted fathers against sons and brothers against brothers. And it came down to their allegiance, their commitment, their loyalty to different kings. And loyalty to King Jesus, allegiance to the Lord Jesus, can create conflict and it can create division in the closest of friendships, the closest of family circles. Sometimes that division can be aggressive. When in some parts of the world a person's family might shun them, they might exclude them because of their loyalty, their commitment to Jesus. And sometimes that that division can be amicable. When a person's family, a person's friends might think they're just a bit weird, a bit strange, a bit unusual because of their loyalty to Jesus. But that's still painful. That's still a source of great sadness. Maybe some of you are sitting here today and you know something of that sadness. You know something of that pain because you have a husband and he just doesn't get what you're on about when you speak about Jesus. Or you have a child and they just don't get what you're on about when you want to be at church twice on a Sunday and at the midweek. Or you have a parent and they just seem so hard to the things of the gospel. As we think about this, friends, let's take on board what Jesus is saying and remember that division and conflict is to be expected because of our loyalty, our allegiance to him. The division. Then we have the devotion, verses 37 to 39. Matthew now focuses on the devotion that Jesus demands. In verses 37 and 38, Jesus speaks about the priority. He begins by saying that his followers must prioritize him over family. Look at verse 37. He has just spoken about the conflict, the division that can erupt in families because of him. And he now speaks about love for him. This is what the life of a disciple, the life of a follower of Jesus really boils down to. What it amounts to. It is about love for Jesus. You remember what Jesus said to Peter after he had denied him and deserted him. Jesus comes up to Peter and he says to him, do you love me? 
He doesn't say, what do you know about me, Peter? He doesn't say, what are you going to do for me, Peter? He says, Simon, son of John, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? And Jesus speaks about the kind of love that his followers must have for him. He starts by saying, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he continues by saying, whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. John Piper writes, the love that Jesus demands is something deep and strong, like the closest family bonds of affection that we have, but greater than that and more than that. And Jesus goes on and says that his followers must prioritize him, not simply over family, but over their own lives. Look at verse 38. Jesus speaks about taking up a cross and following him. The cross was an instrument of death. The cross was an instrument of execution. It was a death so shameful and so brutal, no one spoke about it in polite company. It was a death so shameful, so brutal, that Roman citizens were exempt from being executed in this way. And Jesus is saying that his followers must be willing to take up a cross and follow him if that is where he leads. Jesus is saying that his followers must be prepared to even die for him if that is what he calls them to. And he goes even further and he says, whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Now as we listen to these words that are coming from the lips of Jesus, they're giving us an insight into who Jesus really is. He is claiming to be more important than a person's family. He takes priority. He's claiming to be more important than a person's life. He takes priority. Daniel Doriani writes, we must realize that Jesus implicitly claims deity when he says this. If a political leader said this, we would call him a megalomaniac. If a religious leader said this, we would call him a heretic or cult leader. If a business leader said this, we would look for a new job. But Jesus says this as Lord and God. And because Jesus is Lord and God, he has every right to demand that a person give him that prime place, that central place. That priority. And then in verse 39, Jesus gives a promise. If you jump back to verses 32 and 33, Jesus spoke about what would happen to those who acknowledged him and those who were ashamed of him. Those who confess him in the present will be confessed by him at the final judgment. And those who deny him in the present will be denied by him at the final judgment. And now in verses, these verses, Jesus speaks about what will happen to those who prioritize him and those who refuse to prioritize him. He says that whoever finds life, whoever preserves their life at the expense of prioritizing Jesus, will ultimately lose their life. They will experience loss in the age to come. And meanwhile, whoever loses his life for Jesus' sake, prioritizes Jesus above the preservation of their own lives, will find life. They will experience blessing in the age to come. That is the promise. The promise is, if you prioritize Jesus, he will prioritize you in the age to come. But if you fail to prioritize Jesus... He will not prioritize you in the age to come. Now as we consider these verses, we're being shown the devotion that Jesus demands from his followers. That is what we are seeing in Matthew 10. 
Jesus demands that he take priority over a person's family. Then he demands that he take priority over a person's life. That is the kind of loyalty, the kind of allegiance that Jesus is looking for. He is looking for a devotion that puts him above one's son or daughter, above one's parents, above one's child. He's looking for a devotion that follows him. And it will follow him even to the point of death on a cross. And that is an important point for us to consider. Jesus is the Lord, friends, who demands and is worthy of having the prime place, the prominent place, the preeminent place in the lives of his people. He doesn't want and he doesn't deserve to take second place to our hobbies, our holidays, our homes, or even, dare I say it, our health. He doesn't want and he doesn't deserve to be squeezed into the busyness of our lives. Where we'll allow him a place in our lives so long as there's nothing more pressing, more urgent, more important to us. He deserves and he demands the first place. He deserves and he demands the foremost place. The more we push Jesus down the pecking order of our lives... Where he comes second to our families, second to our work, second to our leisure, the more we reveal about the reality of who he really is in our lives. You know that yourselves. If you're pushing Jesus further and further down the pecking order of your life, the question has to be asked, how real is Jesus to you? A few years ago I heard an American preacher, Stephen Manley, preaching on the theme of being obsessed with Jesus. And his words stuck with me. He says, Jesus is going to determine your evenings. When you get up, go to bed, where you go, your attitudes, your business, your business deals, how you conduct yourself. Your whole life is going to revolve around and be mastered by Jesus. You are going to be obsessed with Christ. I have discovered that Jesus is either Lord of all or not Lord at all. I have come to believe that he is either high on the priority list or he isn't even on the list. I have come to find out that he will be your obsession or he will not be there. I've come to find out that he'll be your love, your loyalty, your number one, your beating heart passion or he will not be around. I have discovered that it's all out for Jesus. It doesn't take much to be a Christian. It just takes all of him that there is. And so this morning I simply want to ask, is Jesus our priority? Is he your priority? Is he my priority? Is he our overriding and overwhelming passion, our great obsession, our, our great interest, our magnificent obsession we might say? Is he the one, friends, whom our hearts are absolutely devoted to, or is someone else or something else coming before him? Is something or someone else coming between us and him? Can I ask you, friend, is Jesus your priority? Are we devoted to him? Third and finally, we have the distinction. Look at verses 40 to 42. Where Matthew focuses on the distinction that Jesus affords. In verse 40, Jesus speaks about the reception. He begins by saying that whoever receives one of his followers receives him. He's the one who is commissioned. He's the one who has sent them out as his representatives. 
I now say whoever receives one of those whom he has sent receives him. Look at that word, whoever. It's a big word. Whoever, whoever, regardless of their baggage, whoever, regardless of their background, whoever receives one of Jesus' followers, receives him. And Jesus says that whoever receives him, receives the one who sent him. He's just highlighted that he is the one who sends out, commissions his followers, his representatives. And now he makes it clear that he is one who has been sent out. He is one who has been commissioned. And he has been sent out, he has been commissioned by his Father. So that anyone who receives Jesus, receives the Father, receives the one who sent him. It's an incredible link. Did you see the logic? If a person receives a follower of Jesus, they receive Jesus. And if they receive Jesus, they receive the one who sent him. They receive the Father. And Jesus continues by speaking about the reward that those who receive him and his followers will receive. Look at verses 41 and 42. He says that whoever receives a prophet, because he is a prophet, will receive a prophet's reward. A prophet is someone who speaks God's word. And whoever receives or welcomes a prophet will receive a reward from God. He continues by saying, whoever receives a righteous person, because he is a righteous person, will receive a righteous person's reward. A righteous person is someone whose life is lived in conformity to God's word, lived in conformity to God's will. And Jesus says that God will reward anyone who receives a righteous person. And finally, Jesus says that whoever whoever gives a cup of cold water to one of his followers because he is a disciple will receive an eternal reward. Jesus speaks about giving a cup of cold water to one of these little ones. One of these small, insignificant disciples. And whoever gives just a small, insignificant cup of water to a small, insignificant disciple will receive an eternal reward from the living God. Well, as we consider these verses, friends, we've been shown the distinction, the value that Jesus places on his followers. That is what we see in Matthew 10. Jesus highlights that those who receive his followers receive him. And those who receive him receive the one who sent him. And Jesus takes that one step further as he says that the smallest acts of kindness that are shown to those whom he has sent will be noticed and noted. They will be recognized and they will be rewarded. That is how much Jesus values his followers. That is how much they are enveloped and embraced in his sovereign watch care. There is nothing that they experience. There is nothing that they will go through. There is nothing that is done to them. There is nothing that will be done for them that Jesus doesn't pay attention to. And that is such an important lesson for ourselves. If you are a Christian friend, if you are a follower, a disciple of Jesus, you really matter to him. If you are a Christian, a follower, a disciple of Jesus, there is never a moment, there is never a minute when you are outside the loving mind, the loving heart, the loving attention of the living God. Never. And he notices and notes, he recognizes and rewards the smallest and most insignificant acts of kindness that are done to the smallest and most insignificant of his people. 
Isn't that wonderful? I hope you see that as being wonderful. A colleague of mine recently forwarded me an article by the Christian writer and speaker Glenn Scrivener where he laments the blokes are worth watching movement. Glenn Scrivener writes, essentially it consists of church ministers looking out for blokes worth watching and persuading them away from entering a trade, business, commerce, academia or the arts and placing them on a conveyor belt to ministry apprenticeship, then Bible college and on into full-time ministry. And thus the blokes worth watching movement becomes seekers and the next generation of blokes worth watching. Apparently ministry is in large part blokes watching blokes who are worth watching. And if they're worth watching, then they should be recruited into the same self-sustaining, self-limiting scheme. It's a system designed to draw in the best of the best, the blokes of all blokes. And the recruitment seems to start early. Jesus is so different. Jesus watches and he pays attention to everything that is happening in the most unspectacular and unremarkable of his people. There is none of this bloke, some people are worth watching and some people aren't worth watching with Jesus. He notices his people. Friends, let's hear this loud and clear. Jesus notices and notes. He recognizes and he rewards his people. From the unspectacular retired crofter living on the Isle of Lewis to the American missionary or evangelist that is growing in crowds of tens of thousands. He notices them all. We hear an awful lot about Alistair Begg in this congregation. And I have nothing against Alistair Begg. But Jesus notices the Alistair Beggs and the Alistair Morrisons. And you hear a lot about John Piper from me. But Jesus notices the John Pipers and the John McLeods, both in equal measure. And so as we close this study on these verses, and as we close this series on Matthew chapters 8 to 10, I hope, friends, that you are going to go away today encouraged. I hope that you are going to go away encouraged if you are a Christian today. That you would go away from this place thinking to yourself, My, isn't it wonderful that I am noticed and noted by Jesus. That you would go away from this place today marveling that you are recognized by the living God. And he pays attention to the smallest and most insignificant things that are happening in your life. You matter to him. And I hope, friend, that this will be an encouragement to you today if you are not yet a Christian. That you might find yourself saying today, I, I want to be embraced and enveloped in the sovereign watch care of this God. I want to be noticed by him. Noted by him. I hope, friend, that this will be an encouragement for you to say, I, I just want to be embraced by him. And I hope that today, not tomorrow, far too many people say tomorrow, I hope that today would be the day when you would say, I am going to come to this Jesus. And I am going to say to him, my Lord and my God, take me, take me now, take me as I am.